Welcome back. My name is Robert Fleming, and I'm with the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming & Curdy PLC. This is Elder Law Issues. I'm talking with my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth, we're going to talk about something that just sounds so exciting. I don't even know how we can contain our excitement. I thought we'd talk about springing versus surviving powers of attorney. Well, Robert, let's let's have a conversation. When we talk about springing versus surviving powers of attorney, I want people to know that we're going to be talking today about your durable financial power of attorney. When we talk about whether to make something surviving or springing, we're really talking specifically about that document. And so a surviving durable power of attorney, I guess we could put all the modifiers, a surviving durable financial power of attorney is one that says this power of attorney is immediately effective and it remains effective. That is, it survives if I become incapacitated. That's what makes it durable. A springing durable financial power of attorney is one that says this power of attorney is not effective until I become incapacitated. So it's kind of a straightforward distinction between them. Which one's better, Elizabeth? Oh, gosh, Robert, it really depends on your circumstances and your preferences. One thing I want people to know when we talk about creating a springing power of attorney, a power of attorney that's not going to become effective until you are incapacitated and there's evidence of your incapacity, we need to talk to you about whether or not that's going to require a doctor's letter or two doctor's letter or a panel of doctors or what we need to do in order to make that power of attorney effective on your incapacity. So one thing I want to make really clear is it's not quite as easy as deciding whether or not to make your durable financial power of attorney surviving or springing. If you do want to make it springing, we need to talk to you a little bit more about what that entails. So I don't want my children to be able to handle my finances unless two different doctors and the Pope agree that I'm incapacitated. Well, Robert, you're going to be creating quite a bit of work and quite a bit of delay in order for anybody to step in and help you. And so I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's the answer. For most people who decide... Uh, uh, can I use the Archbishop of Canterbury instead? Yeah, that doesn't make any difference, oh, okay. Robert. <laughs> so I was going to say that one of the issues with springing powers of attorney is... The more complex the arrangement you make in order for that power of attorney to become effective, the more difficult it's going to be for your agent to actually step in and help. So it's very rare, Robert, that I would encourage anybody to have requirements of more than, say, one physician statement. Um, once you start to really create multiple hurdles for your agent to show your incapacity, it actually can create not only a burden for your agent, but become problematic because things need to be paid. One of the realities that that it's hard to really address for yourself, for imagining yourself at some future day when you're when you have become incapacitated, is that incapacity is almost never a cliff. It's not like you're doing fine, you're doing fine, you're doing fine, and suddenly one day you are incapacitated. Usually it's a gradually diminishing incapacity or diminishing capacity, I guess. Uh, and and so it's really hard to pick the time when somebody needs to step in. And it's really hard to get a doctor to say, yep, that's the day the line was crossed. 
uh, unless they have very specific instructions. Well, Robert, I think that's very true. Sometimes people ask us for a sample statement that they could show their doctor of the kind of statement the doctor will need to make in order for the springing power of attorney to to take effect and um, to have the agent step in. One thing that I would note about springing powers of attorney, it's not uncommon for me to have a conversation with a husband and wife and to be talking to a couple and they're very comfortable with their spouse stepping in or partner stepping in and making a financial decision and becoming their agent. They say, well, of course, my my spouse can do that. Anytime he or she wants, they can you know, go into the bank and get onto an account or change an account. That's all fine, of course. But my kids, I think I want to have a doctor's statement before my child or children can step in. We can actually do that in your document. We can allow for some compromise, if you will, and allow your agent, your the agent you've nominated in the primary position, to be able to act immediately and then create some language around it in the event that your spouse or your primary agent can't act in the first position that there's actually some doctor's letter or physician statement of some sort required before your backup agent steps in. We can do that. You know, I don't think I've drafted a power of attorney. I'm quite sure I haven't drafted a power of attorney in years that required two doctors. As you say, that's that's way too hard to do in most cases. Uh, But I usually discourage clients even from requiring one doctor as it gets harder and harder to get doctors to respond. Uh, as more and more people have sort of an amorphous collection of doctors as their primary care group rather than an individual, uh, as, uh, as doctors become busier and more concerned about privacy issues of their own, it's just deucedly hard to get uh, a doctor to write a letter saying that a, that a person is incapacitated. Uh, and, uh, and I get the well, I, I love my kids and I trust them, but I don't think I want them to have the authority to act unless I'm incapacitated. But as I point out to clients, what you're saying then is, I trust them when I can't watch them. I don't trust them when I can watch them. And that just makes no sense to me. Well, Robert, when you put it that way, that's an interesting perspective. I'll tell you, when I speak to people and they're really laboring over this decision, I go back to square one and I talk about who the person may be wanting to nominate as an agent. In fact, this decision about whether you want to have a springing or surviving durable financial power of attorney often raises that question. If you're not comfortable naming an agent who can step in and act for you immediately, are you really naming the right agent? And so when we dive into these conversations, we ask a lot of follow-up questions, and the reason why is we want to make sure that in all these various events, we nobody has a crystal ball, but we're really able to provide support and do so in a way that makes reasonable sense and mechanically, when things need to happen and, and may need to happen quickly, you can get the assistance you need. There are a couple of things that people ought to appreciate too when they're thinking about the springing versus surviving distinction. One is that in at least one state, Florida, a springing power of attorney is actually ineffective. 
uh, Florida's law says you can't have a springing power of attorney. It has to be a surviving one in order to be an effective document. Now, if you're not going to move to Florida and your document's not going to be used in Florida, that may not be a very big deal, but it indicates a general trend toward, uh, toward not, not favoring springing powers of attorney. Here's the other reality. Increasingly often, we find that banks and financial institutions are really resistant to accepting powers of attorney if they have to have any sort of evidence of incapacity. They don't like the letter your doctor wrote. They're not sure that you're really incapacitated. I can't tell you how many times we've been told that the incapacitated person has to come into the bank branch in order to authorize the agent to act. And of course, if the incapacitated person is lying in a hospital bed, that's just not gonna happen. And Robert, it, it it is true that everybody has questions about how their documents will be used. I wish that we were able to, to help people with that and figure out a way that we knew exactly when it was going to be time for somebody to step in, but we just don't. And what I would tell you, the most important thing is when we're creating these documents for you, you feel comfortable with what you're going to sign. And that conversation that we have about whether to make your financial power of attorney springing or surviving is one that sometimes takes some time to work through and it's important to think about. I would end my my comments to you today, Robert. When we talk about financial powers of attorney, a lot of people say, well, this is the one document I really don't want to create. I just I want to manage my finances, my assets on my own. I just don't know who was ever going to do the same job that I do for myself. You're right. I mean, we're not going to argue with you about that, but I will say the process to go into court to nominate a conservator to start acting and managing somebody's assets is administratively burdensome, it's costly, and it can all be avoided if you create a durable financial power of attorney. So if somebody's on the fence about creating one, the first step is to make sure you understand how important this document is. And then from there, let's talk about whether or not to make it surviving or springing. You're right. It may be the single most important document we prepare for most of our estate planning clients. Well, we hope we've given you some food for thought about the springing versus surviving question that you didn't even know was a question. Uh, that's why you listen to Elder Law Issues, is so you can find out all of the things that keep us up at night and, and bedevil our planning for you. I'm Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, and I've been talking with my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and we kind of hope you'll join us for our next episode as well. Thanks for, thanks for joining us for this one.